and welcome back to Vox Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic Rob Haywell pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Katya and Hannah and Monica. How's it going, guys? Hi. <laughs> Good. I am full of Thanksgiving leftovers, if that puts this on a timeline of that listeners understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, happy right. happy Thanksgiving, by the way, because you know there was a once upon a time when we used to try to like be really you know even when we recorded far ahead of time, it'd be like, hey, happy topical reference, and then we kind of stopped doing that because we weren't sure what order the shows were coming up. <laughs> to be fair, we not, still aren't always sure when the shows yeah. come out, but we've just yeah. given any sense of like we've we've given up any attempts at the veneer of competency that we once <laughs> so so okay. keenly fought to preserve but but it's been like it's like two years into this thing now so it's like what is even time or <laughs> time means nothing we've all been in quarantine forever time is means nothing holidays are meaningless uh and based off of weird problematic mythologies anyway colonialism but, thanksgiving is yes. bad moving on but, 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 but no, cheesecake actually pumpkin pie <laughs> And pecan pie. I still have pecan pie. <laughs> Not for any sort of like actual, you know, meaningful reason. My family has just like decided to forego all traditional Thanksgiving foods um, for the last several years. Like this year, we had a Japanese cheesecake, which was delicious, courtesy of my brother. I've given up even trying to celebrate the holiday. But this is like a, fa- a slightly fancier family meal at this point, rather than Thanksgiving. We're just sort of like, eh. What makes a cheesecake Japanese? I'm so interested. I have no idea. I think it, it's it's not baked. It has black sesame seeds in it. So it's goth cheesecake because it's black and white. Uh, it's delicious. Ooh. And it's like slightly more jiggly than your average cheesecake. Okay. Uh, okay. What, what makes it specifically Japanese? I have no idea. I just that's I don't I don't bake. I'm just told when I'm eating, my job is to bring cocktails. So, uh, <laughs> see, that's see what I, do. I do bake. And so do I. Um, and, that's, and I have no idea of what you're talking about. seasons of Great British Bake Off, they have never been like, and for your technical challenge, you will now make a Japanese cheesecake. So, <laughs> I, I don't know like, what that is. It's very easy. It's like a, I think it's a, basically a no bake cheesecake with a higher proportion of gelatin, would be my assumption. Although, mm. I do know. I think the part of it that makes it like Japanese sweets tend to be less heavily sweetened so that's like a lighter cheesecake it is a lighter cheesecake it's less aggressively rich and it's pretty i only bake things that i eat so i can since i can't eat cheese there's no cheesecake for me i am curious though since you said you know leftovers what are everybody's you know you, you, you said pecan pie you still have what what else are people doing besides yeah, pecan pie and weird that's really it. but also oh, we have okay. two we do have two pecan pies because the recipe that josh's stepmother gave us makes two so like i don't know five years ago coffee I could probably tell you because this is a time when we were in the same place and had Thanksgiving together such that it was Thanksgiving and really was just secretly a Christmas dinner based on Dickensian food. Um, it, we, I, I learned that you can just dump some chocolate and bourbon into like the half of the batter so then you can have a pecan cheese, the pecan pie and then a chocolate bourbon pecan pie. And honestly, I don't know which one I like more. Oh, the chocolate mm. bourbon one is very good. It's the only can time I've ever Josh. Yeah. Can, can confirm. is very delicious. I think I, I remember one year that I I got to take some home, some of the coveted leftovers of that particular dessert. Um, and that was definitely my breakfast while I was very hungover. <laughs> and I very much, very much enjoyed it. It was delightful. I'm 100% going to have some more of that leftovers after we get off this call. Um, I feel like that's the kind of baking I can handle because that is like half 
baking half making of cocktails and i feel like that is <laughs> that is the level of baking to which i'm i'm able to achieve if i can do it you can do it you have a very generous estimation of my baking skills hannah um <laughs> have you seen i set the fire alarm off every thanksgiving oh i'm aware i know I you don't are. set the fire alarm off because i just don't even i don't nope mm-mm. well i probably have more leftovers uh than most because i spent last weekend at comic-con presenting so I get to come home to just a fridge full of Thanksgiving. So we kind of have a little bit of everything left. We have a green bean casserole. We have my mom's sweet potato casserole recipe. We have mashed potatoes. We have stuffing. And I made an apple pie because I am a big fan of fruit pie. Ooh, not a fan of, of, of fruit pie. I, um did make several loaves of zucchini bread. So I'm still eating that. And it's my favorite thing. This is a a childhood favorite of mine from my grandmother's recipe that was lost to the ages for many, many years until a few weeks ago, I realized, wait a minute, when I was in high school, I took a video editing class. So I made a video of my grandmother who's deceased. My grandmother died many years ago. Um, So I made a video of my grandmother teaching me how to make zucchini bread as like kind of a fake it was like it was like my midterm was to make a i made a cooking show and i remembered that so i so i literally went and bought um a vcr to usb um cable (laughs) so that i could so that i could hook up the vcr that i had so the dusty vcr that i had in my basement so that i could very carefully play my grandmother's recipe into my mac and make a video for myself so that i'd have the recipe for zucchini bread so I've made like six loaves of it now. I can't believe I'm about to say the sentence, but that is the best use of a VCR to USB cable I've ever heard of. <laughs> yes. I, this feels like this should be like a Christmas movie. It's just so nice. Yeah, and then somehow your grandmother comes to life but from a USB cable. I feel like that would be the really bad movie. I feel like this is kind of weird supernatural holiday crossover thing that no one wants. No one wants. Yeah, my grandmother wasn't quite there on technology. <laughs> she was, <laughs> no, that, that would not I have been her. Has to be. I think this is a thing that the technology is doing to her. I don't think that, that she's actually participating willfully. Yeah. But so I guess we should topic. Oh, yeah. We're talking really about a thing. We're going to talk about leftovers for an hour. Cultural, <laughs> the cultural importance of leftovers. Mm. Well, it's kind of a leftovers episode, though. I mean, it, it's, well, uh, this is, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, see what you did there. Yeah. We're, we're in bean casserole, you could say. Uh, yuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not, not my favorite. <laughs> not my Controversial. favorite. Controversial. <laughs> I'm not a big casserole person, but <laughs> I mean, fair. it's more that in the analogy sense, a casserole is a bunch yeah. of things put together. And that's right. really what the episode is is we're a bunch of things put together and we're gonna talk about a bunch of things put together we're a casserole right. does that mean i need to be covered in cheese <laughs> do you want to be covered in cheese i don't know i don't like, know i don't like but... i want to be given yeah. lots oh. of cheese i don't know if i want to be covered in cheese sorry this is going in a very weird direction and so, um, let's, so, uh, let's course correct so as you gathered probably by listening to this um we don't know what we're talking about but we're just talking about what's on our minds um well, i like that i like that i can now call this episode pop culture casserole which is what the title of this episode is going to be because because we didn't plan anything this was um just sort of a catch-up thing yeah so 
So, um, well, there were there were a few things because, like, you know, we talked about Thanksgiving. Monica, you, you just got back from again placing this in, in time more than most of our episodes. You just said you were, you just got back from San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. So how was that? Uh, so I presented uh, a piece that was originally supposed to debut at Comic Con 2020 that did not debut at Comic Con 2020 for very obvious pandemic reasons. Um, it then became an article that lives out in the world somewhere on the uh, Film Fashion Consumption Journal. Uh, but it was really nice to actually be able to give the original uh, conference talk that like inspired the entire thing, I guess. It, it, it's nice because it's one of those, uh, sometimes you do you do research and then you let it live out in the world and then you go back to that research and you realize that you've learned a lot more things that make your research now bad or irrelevant or uh, I don't know, you, you don't have the same level of attachment that you did when you first made it. And I don't feel that way about this piece. This, this piece is nice. It, it makes me feel good about myself. Uh, it makes me feel like I was a good researcher. It's, it's one that kind of feels like it stands the test of time for me. So uh, I don't know how often we actually get that opportunity and it comes through as being positive. So. Yay! It was great. That is a that is that is a research win, though, because I feel like there yeah. are many projects of which I I could not say that. I hate I everything like I did more like than five minutes research. ago. Yeah, good research. I'm I'm going to contradict myself now, but like good research, you should kind of hate it later on because you should have learned something else. Like the whole point of research <laughs> is to discover new things so that you can prove yourself wrong. Like that means that you're being a good researcher. Um, mm. So maybe I'm not a good researcher. That I still <laughs> like this one. You know, been that. <laughs> year later but i still like this one you can still be proud of things like i i kind of just forgot about my dissertation and then i started working on my yet to be turned in slash accepted pca abstract about eternals i was like you know what i need to do i need to look at the fourth chapter of my dissertation and think about darwin and sympathy some more because i'm a nerd uh and you know i read and i was like oh yeah i had a brain I feel like every time I go back to my my dissertation, I have mixtures of like pride and like, but I'm also appalled. Like it's, it's both. Like I'm both like I did a hard thing and did some really great research, and then also I see the other bits and I'm just like, oh god, that's so wrong. You know, I famously have not listened to most of our past episodes because I hate hearing myself talk, but I did listen to some of the like old ones, like three years ago old ones. I was like, oh, god. like I don't remember saying this, or <laughs> having this conversation, but you <laughs> know what? We actually sound smart. <laughs> this is a double-edged sword, though, of editing, mm-hmm. where you're too, you're still too close to it, because it's only mm-hmm. been, like, a week, maybe two, since you said, like, stupid things, and I, like, listen, I definitely have episodes where I'm, like, listening to myself talk while I'm editing, and I'm like, oh, God, why did I say that? <laughs> that's not, that's dumb. At least editing gives you a little bit of power to fix stuff. <laughs> yeah, I usually leave them in, because I'm like, nope, that's, that's the conversation, that's the yeah. dumb thing that I said. <laughs> where, that's, that's, you know, that's what happened. I mean, yeah. it's it just it is it is what it is. So, what is on people's mind other than? Uh, well, one thing I, I did want to point out since Monica just talked about the conference she just did, and Hannah just mentioned the upcoming one. Um, we usually only think to plug PCA when Nicole Nicole Freem is a friend of the show and um, vice president of PCA. When she's on the show, we plug it all the time. But uh, the deadline's not passed; it's coming up. So, for people who are well, actually Mav, I think that the deadline's going to be passed by the time this episode comes out is it yeah uh, is it really though i don't i mean i'm not sure i'm not yes. sure i thought, I thought yeah because the deadline's december 5th and the show comes out monday 
December sixth. So oh, never mind. Well, no. you should. Well, <laughs> you should we don't extend it again. <laughs> it might be pending. Yeah. It, well, it, and it might be sometimes. Sometimes it, it has been extended before. This this would be um, the extended deadline. So we're you know, but we're all doing that. Hi, this is Mav from the future. As expected, and as we suggested that it might happen, PCA did in fact extend their deadline. So if you're interested in submitting to that conference, we will be linking the submission guidelines page in the show notes. Hope to see you there. And now we return to the episode in progress. And, you know, uh, several of us are going to be going this year. I know Wayne will be there. I know Monica will be there. I'll be there. Everyone but me. Well, it's virtual, though, this year. Yeah. Which is why I'm applying, though I haven't been accepted. So will I be going? I don't know. I mean, yes. Technically, Monica is the only one who has been accepted because you because you made the original deadline and everybody else is on the the deadline. So, so, yes, that is correct. I can uh, pat myself on the back for finally hitting a deadline. (laughs) Technically, we'll hit that deadline. (laughs) But yeah, so we'll be doing we'll be doing that. But I mean, that gives us that gives us a show that we can do in April. Um, this was just a lot of stuff that's happening in the news or in pop culture or whatever that we wanted to address. And I had one first that like, just cause I, I wanted Hannah's take on something, which was so as of today or technically, I guess as of tomorrow, like midnight, but, um, last week for the listener, it's an empire issue. The Barbados is declared independence yeah. from, Eng- from England. Like literally that's happening tonight. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's weird. And that's yeah. You, now you've done several shows on that. Republic. Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are leaving the British crown, you know, 400 years later, which, you know, and, and I guess they've they've sent Prince Charles to Barbados to like kind of be there and watch and say bye, I guess. It's weird. I'm not clear what's going on. <laughs> Well, she's okay. like, she's like congratulating Barbados, and it's like, oh, just yeah, on burn, your, burn, burn the empire down. <laughs> it's oh. weird though, because he's congr- yeah, he's congr- like congratulating them on their independence from your oppressor. Like, what's <laughs> like, on the it. one hand? I guess good on England for being graceful about it. On the other hand, they could have just been like, you know, colonies are gross, and we shouldn't have them. And uh, also, and uh, pretty much all of Europe and a lot of the United States. So pretty much every form of colony reparations, but apparently no one wants to talk about that. Right. So I feel like uh, in my in the back of my memory that there was a plot line about this uh, in the crown, especially about Hmm. India, about like letting go of India. But the idea of like this whole like going to say goodbye as a magnanimous leader who is now letting you be free is is not a new idea. One that in 2021 should have been one done 20 years ago, but if it wasn't done 20 years ago, like should have been an email. Um, Like (laughs) nobody needed you to show up. And pretend that you are being generous about doing this decades a, after the fact. Right, can you imagine so what it's like to be like a leader in Barbados in that conversation? Is it just sort of like, what What do you say? You'll be back, can't you see? Uh, <laughs> oh that's what you say. <laughs> like, I do, oh, that's, wow. Well, yep. for Barbados. <laughs> They're killing it. <laughs> the, the UK has a lot of work to do um, in all areas 
areas at all times. And before <laughs> anyone thinks like I'm positioning them against America, no, like we all know. We oh, also oh, have yeah. a lot of work to do at all times in all areas. See everything. Everything. Yes. <laughs> see our actual colonies. Mm-hmm. Sl- slash, you know, whatever. I, I'm just going to say blanketly whatever happened in the news this upcoming week and plug in what you will because there's always, you know, this week, last week, the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Examples abound. Yep. And, and so I actually, um, this is a, a bit of a pivot, but not too much of a pivot. So I'm actually mm-hmm. headed to London tomorrow, mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of all things. Um, and the one thing that I was particularly excited about was I actually got tickets to see uh, Six, the musical, which for the listeners who don't know, is a musical that is based on uh, Henry VIII's Six Wives um, mm-hmm. and is supposed to be sort of a feminist retelling of history uh, a la... Hamilton, but mm-hmm. you know, but the Middle Ages and women, um, <laughs> and and it is a it is a strange. I think maybe this is just on my mind because I just watched the first episode of Hawkeye, and there is also this weird Broadway musical about the Avengers in <laughs> Hawkeye that, that I just keep thinking about this like weird idea of retelling history through the genre of a musical, but specifically they never seem to sort of go because musicals can be very tragic but nobody ever thinks like let's retell history in a tragic musical they think let's retell history in this like and it's not quite nostalgia it's almost its own genre of like the the Rodgers and Hammerstein happy musical um that just feels a little strange feels a little I maybe I'm feeling the same way that uh Hawkeye felt when he sat through the Avengers musical of like some things shouldn't be musicals and maybe the retelling of history is is those things. <laughs> no, I mean ha- Hamilton does get shot. I mean it doesn't end great for him. It's great, and there are sad moments, but you just still go to Hamilton being like, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that it, might be my favorite people, song on the. <laughs> if it gets people to learn about history, that you know they're brought in by the rap music, but they stay for the history. I I can. Maybe accept it, but, but why didn't they make it a sad musical? Why does it have to be like the musicaliest of musicals? If I think that's the point that I'm getting at is that there's more than one type of musical, and yet everyone seems to sort of like revert back to the like right. the the kitschy like Disney movie version of a musical because Disney movies are musicals. <laughs> is that well? And is that the question? Is it, I mean, now we're doing cultural analysis figure, but maybe maybe there's a question there of like do we need you're, you're asking people to eat broccoli and like it right <laughs> you know, you well, know. I, I think it's, it's a different audience it's, it's the audience that goes to see a musical is not the audience that's watching the history channel and I, I say the history channel I mean the history channel like 10 years ago when it had actual history when it's just dads you're, you're not right. talking about ancient aliens you're, you're talking about when you know when you when your dad who's your dad or your granddad who's who's history of world war two for the right. next also, can we can we also stop romanticizing World War II and the U.S. roles in it? Like, well, I think that's the other thing is it's it's Please. Hamilton is, is trying not to romanticize. Well, it's it's trying not to romanticize the status quo telling of American mm-hmm. history, yeah. but it's but romanticizing other point, part. They right. are, right. yeah. and they are romanticizing other bits and and whether or not that's problem like I, like I think whether or not that's problematic or you know or not I mean, is is up for debate. 
it certainly sanitizes the history of Alexander, like like many right. critics have already said this, but it sanitizes, for example, the history of Alexander Hamilton to make the point that they want to make in the Obama era about, you know, immigration mm-hmm. and diversity. And so, like, which produces complicated feelings. Um, see all of Twitter's thoughts or Tumblr's thoughts or the Internet's thoughts on Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Would, would another genre that's not a musical, like, really be able to avoid that, though? Or is it just, does the musical make it more obvious that we are makes it more obvious right I, but like yeah. is, is is like i guess what i'm trying to get at is it's like is is the mute like is putting that kind of story in the context of musical actually like inappropriate or somehow a mistelling of history or is it calling attention to the way that we are constantly appropriating and reappropriating history in ways that are complicated and that's uncomfortable so we talked about this briefly last week when i mentioned the harder they fall which is a western focusing on many of the black characters characters black figures in the old west and there was um there was a lot of um coverage um of people saying, well, how come Zazzy Beats is, you know, a light-skinned black woman who's gorgeous is playing stagecoach Mary, who in reality is like a six foot two, two hundred and fifty pound, you know, behemoth of a woman. How come, you know, isn't this prejudicial? Isn't this this? And 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 it is, but the but the answer is like no one likes westerns except for me. Like the uh, the overlap of people who are super into westerns and super into westerns about black people is me and like almost certainly there's no overlap lap between people who are into that and people who listen to our show it's a tiny little market like i like i'm a big fan of like you know the movie posse the movie posse is brilliant nobody's ever heard of it like it's just it's just a movie that i like um and i don't think anybody would like i think that people are going to watch this netflix show because it's it stars zazzy beats and jonathan majors and idris elba and regina king right a bunch of hot people <laughs> that's why you're that's why you're seeing it so i think the same thing right like are you gonna go are you gonna go to historically accurate play about alexander hamilton or are you gonna go to the one where people rap and go da 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 die you know it's it, it's silly i so obviously like i'm this giant proponent of accessibility of public history to the right. point that like i made us sit down and do an entire show <laughs> in <laughs> which we discussed <laughs> toby mcguire in seabiscuit um, and the amount that I love Toby <laughs> Maguire and Seabiscuit. But I, so the thing that I'm getting at here is, is more of an idea of tone versus mm-hmm. accuracy because there are sad musicals. Like sure. Les Mis is an incredibly sad musical. Like mm-hmm. um, the idea that like that is something, but somehow when we think about musicals, we still think of them as being this like happy sparkly genre instead of being one that can be incredibly sad and also about historical events. Mm-hmm. Maybe my question is better rephrased as why wasn't Hamilton late Miz? And because it seems to be that there is a greater trend recently in musicals to have less lay Mrs. and more Hamilton. Yeah, I, I think people don't like being depressed. I think that would have drastically changed the racial commentary, though. What do you mean? I think it's that I I struggle to imagine what it would be like to take what Hamilton does in terms of like you know change like having a, having a like predominantly black black cast and sort of revising history in a way to make a point about it. Mm-hmm. in the tone of Les Mis. I don't know. I kind of feel like the racial commentary can then be even stronger. If you're going to lean into like we're talking about 
sad, dark parts of American history. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're focusing too much on Hamilton as Hamilton versus like the musical as the genre. Mm -hmm. But I think that, but that's the thing is it's like the sad parts of American history is the actual history. So as soon as you're revising it to center, like to, to re, to reimagine it as a, with a black cast, I think you're telling a different story. And I don't know if it's a story that fits the tone of Les Mis. Like, I think that, I think it's a really interesting question. I'm not sure. I mean, like, I think there are fewer Les Mises and La Bohème and I don't know what's what another really successful bad musical. Uh, you See, mean like hard. sad? Yeah. Like, like, sad or, hate, like, I mean, like sorry. West Side Story is a sad Yeah, musical. okay. But it's happening right? until like the Miss very Saigon end. Is a sad musical. Like, mm-hmm. Cabaret. Um, Cabaret like, is an incredibly sad musical. Hades Town? I would say Hades Town's super is depressing. Is Cabaret, I mean, Cabaret serious. Rent is, is still a sad musical. Well, that's, what that's what I'm getting at. Cabaret, Rent, those are serious, but I don't know. Do you say, yeah, do, and, 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 and it might be an opinion thing. Rent, I don't think of Rent as, as like a fully sad story. Right. Like, there are, In the same there are way bright that, spots and, and there are not. Blame right. Miz is kind of miserable throughout. Yes, that's that's what I'm getting at. Like I like I think like Rent is like if you if you actually break down what happens in Rent, their lives are horrible. There's nothing good about what about anything that happens in Rent. But it's it feels like a message of and if we're all together, everything's gonna be great. And it's like no, if we're all together, she happened to not die. Right, Right. and the song, the the actual music. I mean, in some ways, I feel like Rent might be closer to Hamilton than it is to Les Mis in the sense of like Rent is pretty upbeat, not the entire way through. but you know, predominantly mm-hmm. for a bunch of, for a movie are about we, a bunch of people who are dying. Upbeat because we feel like the song are. I think that's part of it. Upbeat? Like, like, is this by upbeat? Do we literally mean up tempo? Or I think that's part of it. I think that's a I big think that's part of it. Part of it. Because mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. Like, I think that's part of why I wouldn't necessarily call Rent a sad musical. I don't watch. I don't watch Rent. Like, there's melancholy aspects to it, but I would. I don't like like watch Rent and walk away being depressed. Is what I'm saying. The way you do with Les Mis. And, and, I mean, and, and, do you, do you, we'll walk away, but do you walk away from Les Mis like oh, yeah. being as depressed as like you should be? Because like they do I mean, a lot. To be honest, I don't walk away from Les Mis at all. I've seen it once. I didn't find it particularly enjoyable. Um, <laughs> like, like, like they, you know, they do their level bet. Like they pull a loss in terms of like finale where they can have their cake and eat it too. Like they can like have everybody die and it be sad. <laughs> but also like heaven is there. So it's like, it's literally like what losses have happens there and they can meet you know again anyway there is curtain call too like curtain call you literally see all of the people who died come back as actors who are all fully fine which does <laughs> like yeah kind of they hug and get roses some yeah of the, yeah <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> like some of the weight or sadness or like gravity of the situation of the thing that you are witnessing i mean it's a rent rent itself is like a, an incredibly interesting example because the creator died like before the mm-hmm. film or right. before the the musical came out mm-hmm. um but I, there is sort of this like are you fully grasping the these ideas of loss i mean because i think things I, are yeah. done up tempo and because you get these curtain calls at the end and, and i like, also wonder if part of it is like it depends on i think both actually rent and hamilton are also inter- inter- interesting because I think a lot of people that have seen both of those, particularly maybe more so Hamilton, but I think this is also true of Rent, have seen, they haven't seen it live. They've seen recordings of it. I think there wasn't there like a film adaptation of Rent? My yes. Yes. The film adaptation largely cast the, the original Broadway cast, though, which right. is. So you're not movie. getting, and I, and I don't, uh, like, but like you're not getting the theatrical experience and the curtain calls in the same way. And I wonder if that also changes the experience when 
a significant number of people, potentially the majority of people who like who have seen it, know it through a recording rather than the stage edge of the, the actual stage production where they're there live. Because I think I mean, those are even if it's the same content. It's a very different experience. That's a good question. I mean, because I, I mean, I, I, I don't live in New York. I don't get a chance to go to a lot of Broadway shows live. But I do. I mean, we talked about we talked about it a couple times on the show. I adored Cats when I was a little kid. I, I, I love that musical. Um, to the point that, like, then, I, no, I know, I know the new, the modern movie's bad. I've still watched it twice. I, I, I don't. Like I, it. <laughs> I, um, I, I loved Did it as a kid. The butthole version or the not yes. butthole version? No, I've seen, I, I've seen both. For the listeners who don't know why I just asked about cat buttholes, it's because originally in the cat feature film, they had chosen to add in uh, via digital effects yes. cat buttholes to all the actors. And then, and then they got a bunch of uh, audience response that was like, this makes us uncomfortable. And then they removed the cat buttholes. So most people have not seen the cat butthole. I, I, will, I, will, I, I, will, I will acknowledge that it is better without the buttholes. It really is. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I've, I still haven't watched the film version. I probably never will. I don't feel any need to. But even after the, all this time, every time I, anyone talks about it, I learn something new and at least moderately <laughs> horrific. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. Oh, I love it. No, no, no. I'm willing to watch pretty much anything. Like quality, quality and taste per se don't particularly matter to me, but I just can't do it. I just can't I don't do even it. Know if they added explosions and a Godzilla scene that I would still I would be able to watch the cat butt version. I I don't know my Honest to God, disappointed that I haven't seen the cat butthole version. But imagine being the animator who had to do all that work. And like, I imagine that is not a particularly easy task. And I imagine it involved a fair amount of forethought and work. And at no point did no one <laughs> suggest. Probably research, okay, no, too. You're, Probably you're being unfair, you're being unfair here. A bunch of cat cafes. Yes. Like, like li- literally every step of the way for the, for the film Cats, someone should have stepped in and said, no, this is this is <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I feel like the the adding cat butt is like a whole that's a level that's that's, that's no you've that's, not seen it oh by the time by the time I mean it's bad by the time you get no, to the cat I mean, butt, no, so think, much else is going is, wrong your point is well taken I've heard, I've heard at that point whoever the person who was who had taken it upon themselves to like be like ah uh, excuse me was just so exhausted by that time and had just probably quit and or run out of the building screaming and you know we never know what would have happened had they actually been listened to. I mean, let's be uh, honest. Like, when has Hollywood ever, like, made good decisions? See, like, all of Wonder Woman 1984. Why am I bringing this up right now? I don't know. It just popped in my head when I thought... It's a you know, stuffing I, episode. I, 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 you know, I thought, I thought, like, you know, like, what is a film I, like, thought, oh, it would be really good, and I think the internet agrees with me, if someone had stepped in at literally any point and been like, why this rapey plotline? This does not well, make sense. 
Patty Jenkins says someone did. Patty Jenkins says, no, uh, we knew and we did it on purpose because don't you see the point? And and again, I'm like, yes, I see the point. I see why it's because she's like, well, you know, it's gross when there's when there's dupe plot lines where this happens. I'm like, it is. And I want Wonder Woman to be better, not worse. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't need yeah. to play to the lowest common denominator. That's yeah. that's that's a choice that you mm-hmm. made. Yeah, we've mm-hmm. we've we've had this conversation before. This is all coming back to me now. Can I transition to another one that's similar? Because this is and I, this is another thing that I've mentioned briefly on the show last week's episode. Um, it, it just happened, and now I've had a couple weeks to like think about it more. And I, as far as you know, talking about things that you know someone should have stepped in. I want to discuss the final episode of the TV show Supergirl. Um, so because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm say a, yeah that 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 Mav brought this up and said it in like general terms. And I said, are you talking about? Kara and Lena. Yeah. This might have not watched it oh, for yeah. like three seasons. I've not watched. I have not watched this, but uh, yeah, immediately, like everybody in the chat that was not me was like, "Yep, you mean this scene?" It's like, "Yep." Mm-hmm. Yeah, because no, it's, so, it's it's pretty bad. So you you have watched the scene, right? I am yeah. not. I am okay. mercifully ignorant of how much. Okay, so up. well, so so there are the CW in general is I would argue, and um, Hannah, you're mostly off the CW train, though. I guess you're watching some of it still, but I know uh, I I I keep trying, and then I'm like, I, I guess this is too much for what your point is, but like I tried Nancy Drew, and like I see why you like it, but also like all I see is Veronica Mars, and I'm like, oh, I. Need Oh, very much I just okay. need to finish Rock and Mars first. Anyway, okay. Um, Monica and I watch a lot of CW shows. I think <laughs> we we both are, are are still on board. And the CW tends to be, though not perfect, as far as national net television networks that aren't specifically oriented at um, queer uh, messaging. Like, uh, tries to be queer positive at least. And in fact, I would argue that the the representation of non heterosexuality, non strict heterosexuality on CW shows is probably greater than at least the amount of people who are out in the United States. If not, you know, I'm not going to argue closeted, but like there's there's a fair number of gay and bisexual people in lead roles on CW dramas. All of them have at least one Um, and good. And that's that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. So, yay. The Supergirl show in particular had the main character, Supergirl's sister, is in a lesbian relationship with uh, with another woman and gets married and yay it was wonderful and there's a lot of for the last several seasons there's been fans who have been shipping the character of Kara Supergirl and Lena her sometimes nemesis sometimes best friend and people are shipping them and wanting them to be together and there's tons of fanfic written online and you know a lot of it never comes to pass but that's how ships work you know people you know it's part of your headcanon and it's wonderful and great and then we have the series finale and the series finale in the next to last scene is a conversation where Kara breaks down and cries and Lena's you know, her shoulder to cry on and they have this heartfelt discussion about how much they care for each other and how they're the most meaningful person people in each other's lives and then they awkwardly hug and then are crying and they walk away from each other and I watched it going wait what 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 did I did I blink and miss a kiss what the hell happened there because it was an extremely romantic I have to admit that I've always loved you kind of scene 
that they never quite say that and they never quite kiss. And I was like, are you just taunting the people who want them to be together? Because it felt uncomfortable in its absence. And then there's one more scene and then the show ends forever. And then I go online and there's a lot of people on Twitter going, what the hell just happened? Like, why? Why? And then set photos leak of the actresses in their outfits from that scene, recording the scene, having clearly kissed. <laughs> As though, so like apparently they filmed a kiss and then decided against it and edited it out. But uh, I mean, so Kate, you didn't watch it, but everybody else did. In my opinion, edited it out very, very poorly and awkwardly. Is that fair? More than fair. Yeah. Like, like well, I, I just have so many, like, like my, my thoughts are like in like untranslatable to like speech and it's just a bunch of question marks, like, you know, like 20 question marks if I were saying a text message about like, mm-hmm. but I mean, having, having uh, not done my due diligence and watched it, watched it on the off chance that I ever actually watched the series and want to spoil it for myself, which to be perfectly honest, I will probably never do because I'm a terrible person. Um, I mean, just even the fact, like, just watch, but watching, like, the, 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 the text chat and even, like, the way you were describing it, Mav, like, that it was, like, paint, like, that obvious that it should have been there. Like, even had they yeah. not had the confirmation of, like, you know, it was filmed or whatever, that's still, like, glaringly awkward. Cause, like, it was queer baity to the extreme. Right. It was, it was like right up to the line of, look, we know this is what you've, and again, not everybody's waiting for it. I'm sure there's people who are very invested in them being straight and there should be allowed to be straight people on the show. I'm not, I'm not even against straight people, right? I'm saying, you know, that a portion of your audience is heavily invested in this ship. And if you're going to taunt them with it, why? It felt mean. Yeah. It didn't come across as, no, we've decided that we want her to be canonically straight and like, we're sorry, people, but you know, that's just not everybody has to be gay that would have been fine and the other thing too is like the scene is not really scripted as some version of like sisterhood or the power of friendship Mm -hmm. both of which would be like perfectly acceptable endings to be like my best female friend is the most important person in the world to me like yeah cool that would be be like a perfectly appropriate like (laughs) like diverse relationship to depict on screen but like that's not what's happening here and that's what makes it mean <laughs> yeah I mean, part of it, like, there's, like there's a model for how to tell the story of like platonic female friendships and it sounds right. like and this yes. isn't subscribing to that it's, it's no. very clearly subscribing to something that's meant to be more than that and then also isn't more than that on a show which has up until this point in time gone out of its way to be like look at how accepting we are of diverse representation of femininity. So like the idea of being like you can have platonic and romantic female relationship mm-hmm. has already been well established across the board as diverse as it could be where you would expect both of those things to be true if that was going to be the series ending but it's not portrayed that way. The third okay. female this is the show where the third female lead is a transgender woman and five minutes before she got her happy ending with like you know oh my my boyfriend's going to be with me and like and it was and, and by the way that scene is 
great because there's a point where you'd think that her boyfriend's going to leave her, not because he doesn't love her, but because he's got other responsibilities and he gives up his other, his other responsibilities. He basically abdicates his responsibilities to be with the woman he loves. And it's adorable and cute and you feel great for her. They're clearly doing this thing where, you know, they're setting up happy endings. You got the happy ending with Dreamer and Brainiac, the, the transgender woman and her boyfriend. You got the happy ending with Alex and her wife, Supergirl's sister. Alex and Kelly is her wife's name. So they had their happy ending. And then Supergirl essentially breaks up with her boyfriend. She's having career anxiety. She's having anxiety about her identity. And she breaks down and has this conversation with the one person that everybody wants her to be with, that all the fans wanted her to be with, about like, you know, who's the most important person in your life and what does love mean and why can't I have... Like, she literally says, being Supergirl is getting in the way of me having a relationship. And also being her, like, truest self. Yeah, like- being my truest self. And you are the most amazing woman I've ever met. And then, so let's hug it out and, like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Later, I mean, yeah. Also, also, this is, like, why, like, generally speaking, this is why I can't do the CW. And I'm not saying, like, other network TV is not like this. But, like, what I, I, I'm not saying everyone has to end up together, but I get tired of watching relationships not be respected. Like, or, like, them following through their own writing to its logical conclusion. And maybe that's just a taste thing. And I think it's partially, like, I, I, I watch like more at one point when we started the show, I was watching like more CW than I was watching literally anything else. Um, but you know, there, there's something nice about Bridgerton's like thing where it's like we focus on two people for one season and we follow their relationship and they have some drama, but then they're solid and they don't break up. Whereas, like, well, to be fair, they're, they're not breaking up, Lena and Kara, they're just why not addressing the elephant in the yes. room. Just, but mm-hmm. why? I don't understand. I, I don't, that's all. I don't understand. It's not even a show I'm invested in, but they, like, and from day one, for the record, there have been stronger vibes than any other person on that show. And I wasn't, like, particularly invested in Supergirl. Including the person she's married to in yeah. real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her, yeah. The guy she breaks up with in that episode, in that episode is her real life husband. And and then you're like, and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, and, he, and, he, and there's a scene where he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm coming back here, but, you know, we'll, we'll you know there's a we'll always have Paris you know you'll always mean the world to me kind of kind of scene and that's where she loses she loses Manel and you're like okay they weren't meant to be so now the world's open for her and Lena but no except it's not because they didn't they could have just not done that like literally like like not addressing it at all would have been better because what like what was there felt unsatisfying on every possible like if you want her to be straight it's unsatisfying if you want her to be gay or bi it's unsatisfying if you if you want her to just be somebody you know because like i'm i differ from hannah and that i don't necessarily need her to have a happy ending if you want to say you know what kara is the one person who doesn't have a relationship because sometimes it's okay for a woman to stand on her own that would have been fine except for that's not very <laughs> like it's literally no, no, they did do a little bit of everything and then in, in in trying to do that they it's none of it yeah they fucked it up. yeah interesting so, well has, has, has cw like publicly i don't know publicly responded not officially that i've seen it's been yeah i mean like i guess the characters have to live on like in that like they might show because there are other shows in their universe right so she could easily she could show up on another show at some point like in a cameo or the two of them holding hands in a future thing and then everyone will be equally as pissed off because yeah but again it's not like they're against having homosexual relationships Alex, who is the sister, got married on that episode and it's been two weeks 
and she has since guest starred on Legends of Tomorrow. She's shown up on another show as a happily married lesbian woman. So you could do that, <laughs> you know, or or not, or you could just not have done it at all. And I am not a lesbian, and yet I found it insulting to me. <laughs> like, I, like I could, I could see why it would piss one off. <laughs> like, because I was pissed just off. Vi- by it. Like, but they were just you know vibes. Like, you got to follow the vibes. Like, sometimes maybe your original writing plan doesn't work out, or maybe in this case you were following the vibes and and you decide not to like mm-hmm. you sometimes the characters just speak beyond what you expected them to and you should like not stick to your rigid plan and also bring people back to the dead oh, and be no. disrespectful <laughs> oh oh like how i met your mother but also like jane the virgin like jane the virgin, yeah I, 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 when you said when you got to i mean i started saying that before said bring them back from the dead and i was like yeah, <laughs> yeah like like just you know like they first of all michael should never have died second of all if he did have to die don't bring him back with some stupid amnesia plot line and then drag everybody including the audience especially the audience through such hard like give me a break i didn't even watch it i just read the summary and lost my mind and you can say like oh hannah you didn't watch it all the way through so you can't properly critique it but no No, like the the internet agrees with well, part of the internet at least agrees with me. So you know, I have to. That's a terrible thing. The correct part of the internet in this case, I assume. (laughs) I mean, like you know, if you want to talk about breaking someone's heart and ripping it out, that's what Jane the Virgin did to me, which is a shame because it's like for the most part, it's like a wonderful show. Except I, I think that the romantic relationships were mishandled at times. And to the point that I couldn't watch anymore. Um, it's fine. Other people enjoyed it. Uh huh. <laughs> Seem to have any thoughts on, I mean, you know, pivoting to real life a little. Again, situating where we are in life right now. We're in the middle of this pandemic and we are in also the middle of, uh, Trumpism's not over, even though it should be. And, you know, I, I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna complain about Biden too, because I promised that I would when we talked at the beginning of this year. But like, first, I want to talk about, um, Lauren Bobert and her feud with Ilan Omar that this is, you know, what's going down today in the news. She has made some, Bobert has made some, you know, pretty deplorable comments in the press about Muslim people and Omar in particular. And then she was asked to, you know, apologize. And she, you know, she started to apologize, but then she doubled down on, you know, essentially saying Omar should apologize for all of her views, which are essentially, you know, she should apologize for being Muslim. And it's been, (laughs) it's been uncomfortable and weird. And a, how is this, you know, an actual country? (laughs) Like, because we live in the darkest timeline, Mav. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Anything else? Like, I think part of it is like, I I think Trumpism is part of it, but I feel like we've also just hit a point and I don't know, I'm, I'm always against the sort of like, the current moment is the most like screwed up and like weird moment in history because we have this it's almost know, never true. Yeah. But I think that actually be true because I feel like we've gotten to this point where like public discourse for a variety of reasons feels farcical mm-hmm. on a level that like I, I I didn't, I haven't, I personally at least haven't felt previously in my lifetime. And I think Trumpism is part of it. I think the internet is part of it. And, and I also kind of wonder sometimes if COVID is part of it because it feels like we've just entered this moment where like you can't make this shit up like it's so absurd that if you like wrote like the things I mean like that uh, like storming the 
Capitol last year. Like, if you wrote this your, year, that was this year. This year. Oh my God, that was this year. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys, I have aged 10 years. Uh, but like, like if you like, I think we actually said it on the show where we were talking about that. Like, you, if you had wrote this as fiction, you know, no one would have bought it as plausible. And yet, here we are. And I feel like every time I turn on the news now, it's like that. When I like see the quotes of like stupid, like you know, some of the the quotes in response to the written, like the Rittenhouse case, it's like this is on the one hand incredibly predictable given the history of this country. On the other hand, I think because it is predictable and also bloody stupid, I believe is a technical term. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just feels like bad surrealism. I mean, living through it. I don't know how else to put this into words. I mean, Marx did say something along the lines of history happens twice. The first time is tragedy. The second is farce. And I don't think I really knew what that meant until now. And I've, and I've heard the sentiment from a lot of people is like the news feels so absurd so constantly that it's hard to even have a response. You talked about presidentism, though, right? Like, the, like, I don't I don't think that's weird. I think it's weird for it to be affecting you. And by you, I mean, Katya specifically, but also the others of us on this show, because there's a weird bit of in order to be or to be a cultural scientist, there's a weird bit of, you know, separation that you have to do sometimes to where yeah. like, again, this is the thing famously like I, I predicted Trump would be president the second I saw him come down the escalator. I'm like, oh, my God, what Oh, you know, I remember that. Yeah, where where are we it at took now? Me a while to start believing you, but I remember and, that. And, and people were and people were actively mad at me, and I and I kept saying, and people were like, "Why are you joking?" And I kept saying, because I'm just, you know, I'm literally following every thread of cultural theory and it would be hard for him to lose of everything. Like there's so many ways that he can win. Like that was that was what I expected to happen. And I was able to detach and do that. And it's harder to detach right now because so many things go on at once. You have the pol political stuff, you have the BLM stuff, you have um, mm -hmm. you have covid and it, it becomes uh, for one thing, it's uh, culture doesn't usually move um, as convoluted or as fast as um, it we do. Like so. A lot of like when I'm predicting political theory, I can rely on uh, on political. I mean, I can rely on cultural theory and I can rely on past things. Um, there wasn't as many changes the last time we had a global pandemic, right? There wasn't an internet the last time we had a global pandemic. Everything is weird now, and the 24-hour news cycle makes it weird, and it, it it does become harder for it becomes harder to analyze because we're outside of the roadmap in in like very real ways that are just hard to explain. Like, it's easy to compare Afghanistan and Vietnam, but it's different because Vietnam didn't happen during a pandemic and during Trump and during everything else. It's so weird. Well, I, I think that's the thing is like when we look back at say like, you know, the Spanish flu or some whatever, like mm -hmm. there are people who have, have pointed out consistencies between previous outbreaks and COVID. But I think what's really difficult is there's no historical precedent for as many things going wrong simultaneously, at least in a way that we connect them. And I think that's the right. other thing is it's like when we look back into history, we're usually we're like as scholars, we're usually looking through the lens of our own field. So like even though I might be looking at, you know, the World War Two period, I'm looking at it through the particular lens of a cultural studies person in the United States with my particular emphases. I'm not living through everything that's happening right. in that moment globally. On top of, so we have that, is that we're living through it, which means there's more to contend with simultaneously. It's like we're living, we're experiencing history, but we're also experiencing our daily lives where we still have to like, you know, function as people. 
which is a different relationship than when we're looking looking either forward or backward. Like either we're looking, you know, as you're talking about, like predicting, you know, Trump's election, like looking forward is not the same as sort of like dealing with things in the moment. Right. And I think that's part of it. And then I think and I say this as somebody who wrote a dissertation basically saying that like part of in, partially in response to the political moment that led up to Trump's election is that like a lot of the things people were claiming were new about that particular moment in, in, in media history. It's like, actually, no, they're not. Right. Like, these are this is the evolution of how, how of like propaganda from the early 20th century, if not before. This is like we've like it's, it's actually this is all very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, very little of it is new. It might be happening in ways which we are unfamiliar with, but it's not new. And I think actually during I, I keep I, I often think about whether or not it, during COVID specifically, the amount of things that are happening simultaneously. I do. I, I've been going back and forth of like, are we actually in charted waters? Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, I do think that like what you're talking about, like the change of culture seems to have accelerated or is at least moving in in weird ways that we don't we haven't seen before. And I but I do wonder, it's like, is that actually true or is it because I mean, there's this, there's this idea and someone's going to remember who this is from, but it's the idea that like you can't analyze something from inside of it. Yeah. Uh, is this Foucault with the episteme? It's, I think it is. It's it's Foucault, but it's also um, it's Foucault also based on the way physics works. Um, so well, if you are part of the system that you are trying right. to observe, you're not actually outside of the system, which means you can't actually properly observe it. Right. And also you. The, the, Right. Dumb down. Measuring a quark, measuring the spin of a quark changes the spin of the quark. <laughs> so, right. so yes. And the same, the same thing happens with, with measuring theory, particularly in a cultural system where everyone is trying to analyze it at the same time, you know, both trained people like us, but also untrained people. It's not like people can comment on Joe Biden's presidency and he doesn't see it. It's weird that he sees it. Right. Like that's a, well, that is a that's weird the, thing to happen. That is, I think one of the things that is because of the technologies we have and the media culture we have right now that does make this much more convoluted because everybody is a critic in a way that's not been replicated previously in history. Right. I'm not just a critic of culture and the sort of like, you know, criticizing media or criticizing an individual politician. But I mean, I think and, and this is, you can make the argument and many people have that, like, for example, the Black Lives Matter uprising um, from last summer is not to say that it couldn't happen outside of the context of, of the Internet, because a lot of that was like boots on the ground organizing. But the kind of simultaneous action throughout the United States would not be possible without the Internet. Things could be said. I mean, I can say that absolutely was true of the poor, uh, the poor people's campaign when mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it's still true, but at the time that we the I participated in that. It was every week was the largest mass demonstration in U.S. history mm-hmm. um, because they could coordinate across all 50 states via the Internet. And I think that kind of magnitude that's possible, both in terms of like individual events going on, the magnitude is so much, so much greater. And the vis- the magnitude of visibility is so mm-hmm. much greater. And I think actually the last one might even be more important to kind of the issue that we're talking about. I would caveat it was the largest organized demonstration, which is yeah. where it becomes where so because it be, so uh, what the internet allows for is it allows for a level of organization of those things that didn't so the the Holy Week uprising, which is the, basically the massive amount of riots in the wake of the assassination of Martin Luther King. I would argue was a ridiculously huge demonstration, oh, but absolutely. there's no coordination in the same way that there are with the George Floyd 
big protests. And but and and I think that matters, but it matters in a way that it's you know we're still studying it. We're still you know as cultural scientists, you're still trying to figure out what that means and what that means looking forward. And it's also it, <laughs> the pet peeve of mine, not with us particular, but with the way the media works and the way experts work. Um, academics like to say that we're trying to keep bias out and we never say that on this show. We're always, you know, the five of us are always very clear about the fact that, you know, we've got biases. In fact, in fact, all five I actually, of, think, yeah, I yeah. actually like being the kind of researcher I am because I don't have to pretend like I don't have bias and right. in fact, the more I research and because I read a bunch of books that argued things like objectivity were invented like in the 19th century ish. I'm like, oh, well, you know, there we are. <laughs> right. Anyway. And, and so we'll, so we'll do stuff and we'll, we'll acknowledge it in ways. It, it becomes weird because I, I, not everybody does that. There are, there are people who aren't us who pretend that no, the unbiased truth is this. And then you end up with people making statements that aren't true. They are, they are colored by politics and you end up with people on the other side being upset about it because we're not acknowledging the bias. Uh, I'm thinking about the people who are trying to constantly defend Biden. Here's the thing. And I promised I acknowledged this back in back in November. I said, you know, I'll acknowledge it when it happens. Joe Biden's doing a horrible job at being president. He, he just yeah. is. He's doing a really, really bad job. He's doing he is objectively bad at the job of being president. And the only thing that makes him look good is because he is directly following arguably the worst president that the United States of America has ever seen. <laughs> so, literally, yes, literally today, <laughs> read an article that and and Millie popularity doesn't mean everything except mm -hmm. like sometimes it does um in which case today joe biden has like the worst ratings of like unfavorability ratings of a president with the Other exception than. donald trump at this point <laughs> yes. in his career yeah like it's which like i think there are more reasons for that than joe biden's doing a bad job but joe biden's doing a bad job like joe biden's doing a bad job and the vast majority of people in the united states i think also have zero patience left right yeah right and i mean I don't like think look, it's fair well, well, just, the first, I mean, like uh, the first thing he did when he came into office is remember, like they they told us and I the Internet has also talked about this before. But, you know, they told us like, you know, two thousand dollar stimulus checks. Remember last year when we got stimulus checks, everybody um, mm -hmm. and like, like like if we win Georgia, the money is coming. And then they like, you know, did that funky math where it was like fourteen hundred dollars plus six hundred dollars. <laughs> it's actually two thousand dollars. And it was like, no, like, I mean, come on, like stimulus checks were massively popular. Right. Also, like I, I, uh, I see every day uh, people struggling to like stay in their homes and like afford rent. Like it, uh, two thousand dollars isn't even enough to pay for like two months' rent in I mean, a lot of we're, places. It's, we're still it's on one track month for, <laughs> yeah, for a recess, like a recession at best, mm -hmm. which means probably the largest housing crisis in a generation, in many generations. Like it's not good. Mm -hmm. So, so. But the stock market's doing is doing all right. So the stock market, if rich people are doing all right, then it must be fine. Well, that's kind of why I brought it up. I, like, I, I think it becomes weird. Politics are always going to be cultural. That's one of the reasons that we like them. That we, and I, I mean, like them in so, an abstract sense. Like, we are interested in them. We are in, yes. <laughs> and it, it's going to be a cultural thing. But I also think that it's worth analyzing because so much of our culture is responding to it right now. And you know, in, 
as much as we can analyze something from the inside of the, you know, from the inside of the bubble, I think it's important to acknowledge stuff like everything that's gone on with Biden and um, his his constant push to to pass a very expensive, but ultimately, frankly, non-consequential infrastructure bill. Like, it, it, like, yes, he did something great. Yay. It was your job. But like there's right. a there's he did it because he wanted a win and it was the easiest thing. It was the only one he was going to get. And it's not all that great. It just isn't. And it's been and I know as a liberal, I'm supposed to say, no, no, ever. It's been like, no. Why isn't anybody well, talking about how great it is? Because it's part of not. It is also, it's, I think, right. And I think part of it is Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think more than probably any other Democratic president in my lifetime, although I'd have to think more deeply about whether that's true. I think it exposes like the limits of liberalism specifically. What year were you and born? Then, uh, I was born in 1990. Yes. More than any other one in your, in your lifetime. Then, um, yes. Right. Small handful of presidents I've experienced. Mm-hmm. But I think like Biden, and I, and I think this is part of why people don't have a lot of patience for Biden is I think like people, because of the things that have happened in the last few years, people are more aware of racial disparities, more aware of class disparities, all like all of it. And maybe not even more aware is not the right right word, but it is more top of mind, more consistently, I think, for a lot of people. And I think one of the conversations I see on social media that I don't I didn't see as frequently, you know, two years ago is people basically making distinguishing like people who aren't like political or like cultural studies wonks distinguishing like. I'm not a liberal, I'm a leftist, mm-hmm. specifically as a way to di- to distance themselves and also disagree with the kind of democratic approach that, you know, <laughs> Biden and and the Democratic Party at large represents because part of it is also the kinds of policies that I think the people that make that, that are making that distinction endorse are not the policies of the Democratic Party. They're not liberal policies. And I think that from that standpoint, like the that the leftist argument is basically like the actual problems we're having a conversation about liberalism can't solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people just like I think people that are on that 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 coming from that perspective, and I would probably include myself in this, is it's like we don't not only we don't have any patience for like Biden and probably very little interest, to be honest. Like we don't expect right. anything to come from Biden's presidency. And so most of us I don't even think are really paying attention. And that's that's the thing. I am. And so here here's my you know, to go all back to where I was talking about my my prediction is I where I think we're going to be in two and a half years is I don't feel good about his chances because what's going to happen is oh, I, no. I, I, I do think Trump's going to run again. And that scares me. It scares me a lot because depending on a couple of things, Trump could easily become the Republican nominee and Biden can't win by making him empty promises twice. Can't. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah. and, if, and I'm trying to steal myself to be for a second Trump presidency because if you, if you thought the Trump Clinton election, uh, was you hated that oh it's gonna be so much worse it's gonna be the biggest political shit show of my lifetime i'm looking at today and here's what here's why why it's been on my mind because again this entire episode's been you know pop culture casserole and today uh this week you know we're we're at the beginning of the omicron variant of the coronavirus because we're going to be doing this for the rest of my life and and today this or the last couple of days the omicron virus was sort of discovered 
in, you know, in South Africa and the world very quickly, most of the world very, very quickly said, all right, we need to, we need to stop the thing in its tracks. And so everybody, including the United States of America, where all four of us are, has decided, okay, we need to do what we can. We're going to ban travel from South Africa and the surrounding countries to try and get this underhand. And then they did that. And then hours later, they're like, okay, we have discovered that we have some Omicron in the UK and in France and in, you know, all the white countries and we've not done it. We've not banned them. And well, it's not the same. It is the same and it won't be better until people, until America acknowledges the the, the implicit racism in not banning the non-African countries that we're not going to acknowledge. And it's not like I'm the only person who notices that. <laughs> literally caused the death of un, untold amounts of people like it did. Right. And it's going to cause Biden to lose the election. Years. And it's going to cause Biden to lose the election <sighs> because trying to double talk out, trying to double talk your way out of it and say, well, no, it's different because when it's not is a political nightmare that makes sense if you're advertising only to neoliberals who were born before the year 1965. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like really like, you know, like pretty much you know people talk about the millennial and this is not new for this show millennials the young kids millennials are your age at the youngest millennials are old people now and like none of them buy bullshit okay speaking speaking of millennial like okay this is totally not the same and much less serious but can we talk about for like 10 seconds sure a certain director bashing the millennials because the last happier to end on yeah it's happier to end on than biden so yes absolutely Absolutely. Talk about religion. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. So here's what happened. And it's old news at this point, but it united the internet for like 20 seconds. Ridley Scott <laughs> was like, oh, I see this. Ridley Scott, whom I love because go back a couple of weeks to hear me my, my take on Blade Runner. I'm I'm a big fan. That's it. Like, Continue. <laughs> uh, he, so like, look, I have, I don't know if I've voiced it on this show, but I've certainly voiced it before. Like the last duel came out, and like the only reason I noticed, frankly, was because Katya picked it in the box office game and I was updating the box office spreadsheet. It made like no money. Like <laughs> like like very made, little money. I haven't seen it. Made no money because yeah. the structure of the film first off, the plot it? of the film is my my mom saw it and she okay. told me about it. So I don't have to see it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one for the team. My my mom loves uh, medieval history. So my, I took my mom to see the Green Knight. Like we we have comparisons. Um, she called me. She told me the plot, and I was like, "Wow, you know, I really didn't want to watch this movie that is about a sexual assault told from three different perspectives, yeah, three different yeah. times. Nobody wants your rape movie three times, Ridley Scott. It's not because your marketing campaign sucked. And like, yes, the end of the film like is meant to be something that is uh feminist. My mom walked away from it like really enjoying the film, feeling like the trailers were not an accurate depiction of the film that she actually watched. But at the same time, yeah. Okay, Your look, mom's like, a middle-aged woman. Know, she's like, not a... She's, 
there's like there's there's a pandemic like I mean like I, I, I'm not gonna say rape aside because you can't put it aside because it's the whole movie but like like even if I wanted to sit through a rape three different times I certainly don't want to pay theater money during COVID to watch a very serious depressing movie like I went and saw and The Eternals I wanted to say like you gotta be in the mood for it which sounds like fucking horrible I, I yeah. don't want that phrase to ever come out of my mouth when it comes to like sexual assault because it's a really important yeah. topic that like you have to be in like you have to talk about whether or not you're in the mood for it or not like that's, that's but not I also feel like Ridley Scott, same time. Not, Ridley Scott is not that director no he's not he's not there he's not there to have your important talks about sexual assault that like right. frankly you know should be done by a female director considering this is a movie about women's empowerment and their lack of voice in the middle ages um <laughs> it just <laughs> sir the reason no one watched your movie is because you're tone deaf not because we didn't want to watch it on our phones end of discussion right. really yeah yeah not. So, so for anyone who didn't read the interview, um, Monica's point that he's tone deaf is even more correct because he basically said that it's those, there's those darn young millennials who just want to watch no, no, movies no. on their millenniums. Millenniums, yeah. We are now collectively, I am no longer millennial. I am the Millennium Falcon. Excuse me. That's right. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. do we all drive Falcons? <laughs> well, and the thing I love about this, this like totally, I, I was not paying attention. I actually forgot that I picked that movie in the box office thing. I was just like, ooh, a Ridley Scott thing. I'm glad to hear it was terrible. Um, <laughs> so the Gucci in your, in your Ridley Scott. She did. She picked both of them. <laughs> I like Blade Runner. I don't know. I don't... As as as, as <laughs> listeners who have uh, listened to our box office things, I do not prep ahead of time. I just pick random things, uh, and I was like, "Oh, Ridley Scott, I know who that director is." I mean, uh, one of those films like, is kind of making money, Runner, which I love. Also, screws up a very rapey scene. Um, like, that's what I'm saying. Like Ridley Scott, not the guy I'm going to for uh, meaningful commentary on anything having to do with gender. To be perfectly honest, even though I do enjoy the aesthetic of many of his films. Uh, but I do think the idea House that Gucci. like <laughs> this is going on about millennials can't afford houses because avocado toast. Mm-hmm. It's that guy. He's doing that that thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, you are you're already out of touch, which you've demonstrated with this film. And you are now just coming across as a burnt out old man on his lawn, bitching at the world. What I mean, is that not just coming across as that's what you're doing. It's like, this is not in any way helping your case. I, I also just, sir, I didn't have a phone until I was 18. Like, <laughs> <laughs> for you to think that my millennium life has been dictated by my phone. <laughs> he has no idea. He doesn't Like every <laughs> other person has it, every generation he thinks we're all 12 not that we are now supposed to be the backbone of the american economy which you know we can't do because the boomers still haven't retired which like for the record we like maybe not the younger millenniums but like (laughs) the the, like you know some of us are like in our 40s uh like they're the people that ridley scott was supposedly supposed to attract to go to the movies because it was aimed at an older audience like except for well see that's the thing it was aimed at an older and this is where i was gonna go assume he's right just give them give them the credit of saying look okay they didn't want to watch it because they don't like they want to watch things on their phone and it doesn't look good on their phone okay if that's the case well that was your job dude you fucked up okay 
and, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a, real, I mean, I love Blade Runner. I like, I really do. I adore it. I, I think he's a gorgeous filmmaker. Um, and here's where I will, I will say Ridley Scott's wrong. And I'm going to compare him to somebody who made a similar old man comment, but is right. Martin Scorsese. Do you remember like a, I don't know. Oh, his, been his Marvel there. thing. Yeah. And he was, and the thing is Martin Scorsese was like, I'm not interested in those movies. They seem like crap to me. They're not the kind of movie that I want to make. Of course not. not. Right. And and you know what? I have no problem with him saying that Martin Scorsese is an old man who's making, you know, his hip movies have De Niro and Pesci in them, right? Because like he's making old man movies for other old men. And what a Marvel movie with De Niro and Pesci would be like and how ridiculous it would be. Oh my goodness. I would would watch it. I mean, I watch all of it anyway. I would watch with the full expectation that it would be horrible and I would hate every minute of it, but I would, I would, I would, I think I would secretly love it. I think, I think. Also, but also here's the thing that like, I, I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe does not need me to defend it from Martin Scorsese or anybody else who like has made comments about which some, some of the critiques are fair, even if they're um, put very bluntly and condescendingly. Um, Martin Scorsese just also makes the same movie, in my opinion, over yeah, and over again, just men doing man things, oh, yeah. doing mafia man things. And and like to me, and I I mean like some of them have been critically acclaimed. Maybe all mm-hmm. of them. I don't know. I don't care. I I don't. I you know what, Prince Scorsese. If that's what cinema is, I don't want any part of it because it's well, boring to me. It's very boring. See, there is this whole like uh, we we do sort of like revere the idea of like the auteur, like the, yes. the director who has this vision. But for the most part, auteurs are kind of all just making the same movie. Like right. my mm-hmm. first. Class class in film school ever they were like oh we pick one director and we watch their entire filmography and it kind of didn't matter which director got picked because <laughs> by the end of it you learned oh the thing about directors is that at the end of the day like they're all kind of making iterations of the mm-hmm. same movie they're interested in exploring the exact same themes within Offers every the movie because well yeah. they're making movies for each other yeah mm-hmm. yeah and like in the same way that there are literary authors that like, I mean, we even see this mm-hmm. historically, like, they're not writing for an audience. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I right. always find it funny when Henry James got really butthurt right. that Wells was really popular because James was writing for other writers and he was confused about why the general public was not into it while the general public was like, in like you know, uh, loved H.G. Wells. And that's why I brought this up because I, I do think it's the same thing. The difference is Scorsese understands that because people don't, people forget that after he made that comment, because he made that comment as a side comment in an interview when somebody's like, would you ever direct a Marvel movie? And he was like, I don't know, I'm not really interested in that. I don't watch them. That's what it, and then he wrote a long thing where he basically said, look, I'm an old man making movies for old men. This is the kind of movie I make deal with it he understands that scott doesn't Ridley scott does not understand that like like he wants to know you know why am i not cool you're not cool because you're an old man dude like uh, and again i love his movies i think part of it is Ridley scott still thinks it's science fiction is this cutting edge emergent genre? And it's mm-hmm. not. It hasn't been emergent point. since like hundreds of years ago, technically. But well, anyway, it was less common in film that like, in, you know, saying like, I don't know, the 50s, other than like a really bad yeah, movie. Yeah. You could like the idea of a prestigious sci-fi movie 
wasn't a thing. Oh yeah, I just right. got to you know wave my little 19th century flag. Right. Right. No, but I think like he still thinks that like oh I'm doing the cool hip thing and it's like no at this point everything is bloody science fiction because hi we carry the li- library of Alexandria around with us in our back pockets. Mm-hmm. Like but also Ridley Scott's 84 years old. He's an 84 yeah. year old man. Yeah. <laughs> He's not supposed to be cool. He, like he. I, I think part of it is like he he's used at one point in his career, he was used to doing the cool kid thing. Right. And can't come mm. to terms with the fact that now the cool kid thing that he did earlier in his career is now like normal and like right. old guard. Not to say that it wasn't important and good and like interesting. Like he changed the like the field of science fiction film and science fiction generally. However, once you're canonized, you're not cool. <laughs> I mean, like that's what's supposed to happen. Like that's what pop culture is. Like it's supposed to move from subculture and fringe into complete peripheral proliferation, proliferation into complete <laughs> proliferation. You can yeah. have so many versions of that for editing later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I, yeah, I've been having the same sort of like crisis of like now that k-pop and k-drama are super mainstream i was like wow people really made fun of me for watching all of those things in college but at the same time like i'm not mad about that i'm happy that now i can actually talk about my interests with a bunch of other people it's the same thing of like people made fun of me in high school for being the comic book kid but you know what now we can all go watch a marvel movie together like there's a sense of like he's kind of missing out on the rewards of all of his work in which he helped pioneer this genre that now everyone loves if you're then going to complain about it. He's doing the exact thing that gamer culture does to basically anyone who is not perceived to be a gamer. Like, and nerd culture generally. Mm -hmm. Like, the idea of if it's not a niche fringe thing, it's now being somehow taken away from some, you know, whatever the conception is given to that, that subculture. It's being taken away from us, the originators, blah, blah, blah. It's like people that were, you know, pissed when basically the idea of being a nerd became mainstream. And it's like, why? Why? What you always wanted was you were an outsider looking for a thing that made you feel like an insider. And now that you get to be an insider in the truest sense, you're saying you don't want it. it. Because what you wanted wasn't being an insider is you wanted to be special. I I guess. So I always think of uh, Henry Ford's Greenfield Village, which is like a really strange example. But Henry Ford created created Greenfield Village because he felt this great personal crisis about his heart in the Industrial Revolution. And he romanticized a pre-industrial revolution world. And he built Greenfield Village. It's in uh, Dearborn. It's right outside of Detroit. You can basically see all of his factories like from this museum. It's, it's a living history museum, very similar to like a Colonial Williamsburg, except Colonial Williamsburg is meant to depict this one real period in time. And Greenfield Village is meant to be this idealized village in which like Edison and the Wright brothers and Henry Ford all had their cute little like tinkering workshops before the the moment where they actually invented something and changed the course of history. And mm. and he basically like puts all of his money into this museum about the thing that is like the conception of an idea but before the idea takes over the world, but when you're an inventor all you want is for your idea to take over the world. It's it's this weird phenomenon in which, you know, you 
you sort of you can't have it both ways. You can't be both aspirational and the reaper of all of your rewards from your aspirations. Mm. On that note, so we've resolved nothing. Yes, we have resolved nothing other than (laughs) time is the cruel mistress person lady but, but also doesn't has no meaning and um i don't know where we are and what we're doing and we should all live in the moment because if we don't we will either be nostalgic for a past we can't have or bitter about the future that we are currently living in could we can we're we live in this moment can i pick a different moment can i pick last week can i live in a moment from last week hey now if if uh, you have as much money as henry ford you can build a whole museum to whatever moment you want. Well, I have I, no I, money because I'm a, lin- I'm a millennium. Well, no. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can travel space though now. I've decided. I, I was actually just I was actually just living in last week because I was going to ask Hannah to plug something, you know, because in a perfect world, we're on every show every week. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, uh, yes. Mav and I guested on um, There Was an Idea podcast uh, talking about the second episode of Hawkeye and uh, it might be the most we've ever agreed on <laughs> not not to say that we don't have a good time discussing things but Matt would say something and be like yeah you've said yeah, all the things <laughs> I agree with you it was fun it was fun, it was, it this was is fun. for, for yeah. um, people who don't know there was an idea it's the show that um, hosted by TK um, who's been on our show a couple of times she hosts a it's an analysis show of um, of everything MCU everything specifically MCU you so we were on just talking about episode yeah. episode two of hawkeye a little bit of talk about episode one so um you know monica when you catch up because you've only watched the first one you can go, go listen to our thoughts on that and she, she was a fantastic host and it's always um a great show to listen to whether we're on or not um but if you yes. do listen to our episode you'll hear my crackpot theory about who the real villain is in the hawkeye series <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, no, i don't, I don't, I don't want to ruin it oh god no no the dog's dog. awesome <laughs> the, the dog is awesome <laughs> Lucky is great. All all dogs go to heaven, you guys. To throw out that pop culture. I knew he wasn't bad. He's a golden retriever. Golden retrievers can't be bad. (laughs) Hannah, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, Listen to us in the upcoming weeks where we'll be talking more about Hawkeye on our cheesy Christmas show, along with the Netflix movie Cinematic Universe. Uh, Monica Marvelous, what about you? Oh, if you want to read more about my uh, Comic-Con talk, you can check out the uh, film fashion and consumption journal and then you can email me going hey monica i checked out the film fashion and consumption journal and i don't want to pay 16 dollars for your article and then i'll email it to you (laughs) (laughs) that's how i'll know that someone really listens to this episode guys (laughs) she'll email it to you if you write us a five-star review on itunes (laughs) yeah every person who writes us a five-star review gets a free 16 dollar article a 16 dollar value yours free you know i will if someone wants it i'll throw in my old jane austen article which is some other amount of money so it's a two for one yeah we should do a, a, a whole show on how academic publishing works but like but like i just thinking about i have i have several academic articles um all of which technically cost a lot of money if you really wanted to read my um you know my academic um i don't know what you call it, my academic bibliography money that i will never see a penny of. <laughs> so yeah, that's why i'm gonna yeah. give it to you for free <laughs> yep that's how it works Katia, what about you? I have posted Uh-oh. one story to my Instagram in the last month at just that nerd kid. It was not exciting in any way. And it was a story, so it's gone now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am an old man and I don't really understand Instagram stories. And like, you know, one of you guys should take over the um, the Vox Popcast Instagram account because I'm really bad at like posting stories. I never do it. Um, and, I, and, I, and like, I know it's the cold thing that you're supposed to do. And I just it's don't. not though. It's not. I mean, here's the thing. Stories. I, I've, I have discovered the function of stories. It's basically to me to share you share life updates with like not my close circle of friends who I text on a semi like, you know, a fairly regular basis, but like the the periphery people who like care that I'm alive and doing moderately well, but like we don't talk a lot. They, they they're notified of my continued existence through stories. I literally missed the function. That is also how I see other people using it. We all just skip anything that is not like this is a person I know, like I I know either in my real life or I feel some kind of kinship with through the internet weirdness. So I don't know what to do with that. If like if that's useful information in any way, uh, <laughs> but that's it. Also, if anyone knows of a really good alternative to Instagram, let me know because I hate it. <laughs> you can, you're continuing your continuing quest to just like be on social media that's not social. <laughs> it's that, no, it's that Instagram is. They, 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 Instagram. I used to love Instagram. Then, then Facebook, and we didn't get, talk today about uh, Jack Dorsey's resignation and then his uh, not so subtle dig at. Well, everyone's reading it as a dig against Mark Zuckerberg. I think it could be read as a dig against multiple people, and probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Facebook, after they got Instagram, they just put the kitchen sink into it, and it's now. It's like it's like it's now so many things. It is now nothing, and it's really irritating, and I hate it. We did an episode on this already. Yeah, <laughs> you should go listen to it, and it'll just be me ranting for an hour, and it's probably unlistenable. No, it's good. You should listen to it and give us five stars. <laughs> and tell no me what you do. Give us five stars, and yes. and tell me the alternative to Instagram because you know I like my little sewing community, but you know Instagram over the last year has kind of killed it. Uh, on that note, I was trying to end on a happy note. <laughs> <laughs> Happy notes. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where you can find out what we're talking about next week or in upcoming weeks. Um, I believe Little Bird told me that we're going to be talking about Christmas movies still soon. Um, Christmas movies that's coming up. Um, but yes. you can you can check that out and you can leave us comments. You can give us your thoughts on you know what we should talk about on that show. You can suggest future shows. You can volunteer to be a guest on a show, and you can just tell us your thoughts about the things that we talked about today. What are your, what's your feedback? What do you feel about you know our little pop culture casserole of of things? If you what's enjoy your the show, casserole, yeah, uh, it's the only casserole that sounds. Sounds even a little bit appealing to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually like casserole this way. But again, it was a good episode title. So <laughs> <laughs> if you Great enjoy the show. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or where the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave a five-star review. Leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice, especially if it's iTunes. Boosts the algorithms, makes us more popular, helps other people find the show, and makes us happy. It's almost Christmas time. I need something to do to make me feel good about myself. So please do that. I would like to thank all three of you for joining us. I'd like to thank you at home for listening. I'd like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song going ever so more epically and playing us out. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.